0: Thank you, Ivy. And you know, we're going to be looking this morning in Acts chapter 14 because Paul and Silas had, and Barnabas, Timothy, Titus, Epaphras, others that traveled, Luke, that traveled proclaiming the gospel, had the same spirit. Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm your servant, I will obey. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13, I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. What did Jesus do? In the context there, he washed the the feet of his disciples, and so he served. But he also gave us this example when he said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And may that be our spirit today as it was of these apostles as we study through Acts. We're in Acts chapter 14. So as you're turning to Acts chapter 14, let me review for you so far where we've gone in this first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. They left Antioch and they sailed to the island of Cyprus. They started in Salamis, which was on the eastern side of the island, and made their way to the southwestern side of the island to Paphos. There they preached the gospel um, and Sergius Paulus uh, believed. But Elymas... Rebu- uh, rebuked Paul and, and, and Barnabas and tried to refute them and stood in the way. Um, and Paul rebuked Elymas and God blinded him for a season. Well, they left from there and they sailed to Perga and from there up to Antioch of Pisidia, up through the steep mountain region, which was uh, thief infested. Um, many Bible scholars and historians believe that Uh, before they left from Perga to make their way up to Antioch of Pisidia, uh, that Paul contracted malaria and that he was very sick. Um, He kind of gives an indirect reference to this in the book of Galatians, but God gave him grace and uh, they went up and to the mountains to Antioch of Pisidia. And the first recorded message, uh, Paul's recorded message, we've looked at in Acts chapter 13 well, we know that many of the Jews and of the Greeks believed and any time that God is doing work, Satan opposes it. And finally, uh, the Jews in the synagogue that rejected, uh, and refused to believe, uh, stirred up many of the devout women and others. And they began to, uh, they, they cast them out of their, uh, city. And remember, Paul and Silas shook the dust of their feet off against them as a sign that the kingdom of God had come close to them. They'd heard the gospel and the way into God's kingdom, and they had rejected it. And so now they move about 80 to 90 miles. They head towards Iconium, and I believe along the way they had been proclaiming the gospel. And so we pick it up in Acts chapter 14 in verse 1. We'll look at the first seven verses will be our text this morning. The Bible says, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. So uh, first thing I want you to see again is their pattern. They, Paul and Silas. And it's interesting because I believe Luke purposefully here just refers to them as they. We've kind of seen this transition at first, It was Barnabas and Paul. Remember that? Remember when uh, Barnabas was sent by the Jerusalem church up to Antioch because God was doing a great work up there. They heard about it and Barnabas goes up there and he is greatly encouraged to see what God is doing and he begins to teach doctrine and to those believers and to facilitate and to equip them to reach the third largest city in the Roman empire with the gospel that he gets overwhelmed and says, this is too much for one man. I can't do this. Hey, you know what? I remember Saul of Tarsus, that God has saved him and that by his own lips, that God told Paul that he, or Saul, that he would become the apostle to the Gentiles. I think I'll go find him. So he left the work and he goes and he finds Saul of Tarsus and he brings him back with us. And the Bible in Acts refers from then to up until a certain point as Barnabas and Saul or Paul. And we see that when Saul begins to preach in these Roman and Greek colonies, uh, that he uses his his Roman name, Paul, it's a Roman version of his Hebrew name, Saul. And he is preaching the gospel and he takes on the primary leadership This was by God's design. Barnabas submitted to that. Barnabas endorsed that and encouraged and, and was a team player in that whole transition of leadership. And we see it referred to as Paul and Barnabas, but here in Acts chapter 14, we see that that loop by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Spirit refers to them as they. And I believe it is on purpose to emphasize teamwork. They were one team, they were both preaching, they were both teaching. The idea is even Paul addresses another church. He says, look, some of you are saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, I am of Christ. And he said, look, we're just messengers who preach the gospel. It is Jesus God who gives the increase. It's God who does the saving. We are all just servants of one great king. As I heard one pastor say one time, there are no great men of God. There are just men who serve a great God. And I think that that was Paul and Barnabas' spirit. And together they, as one, are giving God the glory by doing this teamwork And so they go into the synagogue first. You know, one of the reasons why, of course, was because that was the pattern that Christ gave to them. And even Paul talks about in Romans chapter 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there was this pattern that Christ had given to his apostles and that was the way they were supposed to go through and evangelize the known world. Go to a region and go to the synagogue if that city has a synagogue and preach the gospel to the Jews. Salvation came through Israel through God's chosen people, the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah was born in the direct descendant of King David. And he will sit and rule on that throne for all of eternity as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Jesus Christ coming through Israel as the redeemer, not just of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles for the gospel is for all men. And yet, Paul and Silas had that pattern of going to the synagogue first. Paul kind of reveals his heart a little bit in Romans 10.1, for he tells, as he writes to the Roman believers, brethren, my prayer and, and heart's desire to God for Israel is that I might be saved. And see, Paul, growing up in that Jewish culture, understood that if he would have gone and preached to the Gentiles first and then tried to preach to the Jews, that they would have rejected it outright they would have viewed this as just another pagan religion they would have not listened and given paul audience and so paul and barnabas having a heart for all men wanted to go in and preach the gospel to the jews first also there would have been gentile god-fearers and proselytes who were worshiping and 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 pursuing the one true god and had come to realize that judaism was correct insofar that there was only one true god there's only one true scripture the scriptures the bible that we have they only had the old testament then but they believed that to be the word of god and they were seeking after god paul and barnabas would come into the synagogue and they would preach and the Bible says in verse 1 that a great host of Jews and of the Greeks or the Gentiles they believed. And we're excited about that. Now, the language does not demand that they go in and that first sa- Sabbath day and preach the gospel in the synagogue and there's a great host that saved. It could have been over several Sabbaths that they went and they preached and that people were saved on that continual basis. However, is it absolutely and entirely possible that what's being referred to here is a one-time event at the very beginning? That is, Paul and Barnabas come into Iconium. They go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They preach the gospel, and there's a great host. We, remember Pentecost? There were 3,000 men that were saved on that day, right? And just a little later in the book of Acts, there's 5,000 men that are saved at one time. And so we know that with God, nothing shall be impossible. But there is a nevertheless, whether it was in one Sabbath day or whether it was over several Sabbath days, and the gospel is being proclaimed in the synagogues, many Jews and Gentiles believed they expected and we should expect and this is where this applies to us paul and barnabas expected that whenever they preached the gospel people were going to believe and we should expect the same thing their success was not because of their dynamics of their preaching but by the power of the holy spirit folks you know what god is always working in the hearts of unbelievers Yesterday, we were at Lilburn Days and we had fall festival things out. We had a little Plinko thing and kids could drop the little, the little, little Plinko little thing and it would go down into a little slot and they would win some candy. And uh, we had a gift basket drawing and stuff like that. But we had gospel tracks and we had other specific brochures of different aspects of our ministry. One of those aspects is our grief share ministry. And this lady came up and she was asking about our church and she was going to enter the drawing. And so we're just kind of chatting with her for a couple of minutes. And she, her eyes fall on that grief share. She says, what's that? And I begin to share with her what our grief share ministry is here at Berean. And she said, you know what? I really mean that. I said, really? What's going on? She goes, I just lost my daughter in August. And I'm now helping my son-in-law raise my granddaughter. And you could just hear the pain and the grief in her voice. And she is searching she wants help she needs God's comfort and you know it just reminded me that everybody has a story and that God loves everyone and he knows their story and there is a balm in Gilead and there is redemption there is the cleansing from sin through the blood of Jesus Christ there is salvation and new life and eternal life and healing that God will give to those who will come to him by faith. And that ought to stir our hearts to expect that God will use our testimony and our sharing of the gospel. That many are searching. And, And here's the point. God is always at work in people's hearts. And we don't know their story, but God does, and he's working to draw them to his son. And we just intersect them at pivotal times, divine appointments, and we have an opportunity where they're sharing a gospel tract, having a word of prayer with somebody, sharing our testimony of salvation, sharing a verse of scripture to comfort, and a gospel verse to help them to begin to understand the way of salvation. We have those opportunities. God's working in hearts, and we should go out from here in this world expecting that when we share the gospel, there are some who will believe. Amen. And Sometimes it's not the first time, but we should not be surprised when the first time we talk to somebody And we get to the point where we say, well, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? And they say, no. And we say, well, would you like to do so right now? I think sometimes we kind of give it a hard sell and we'll say, well, do you understand? Do you have any questions? And, and they kind of begin and you just kind of ask them some questions and it clarifies that they understand the gospel. And many times you can sense when the Spirit of God is doing that work in their hearts and they, they really truly are not just having a mental agreement or understanding. God's doing a work of conviction in their heart and he's drawing them. And sometimes we almost, we're like a, a poor salesman. You, you don't want to buy this, you know, right? You know, maybe you need to think about this a while. I really don't want to pressure you into something. And I think sometimes when it comes to the point where we say, listen, you know what the Bible says? For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10 13 promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey, would you like right now just to bow your head with me? And would you just like to admit to God that you know you're a sinner and that you deserve eternal punishment for that sin? But that you understand and believe that Jesus personally loves you, died, and rose again for you, and rose again. And would you just ask him to forgive you for your sin and to give you his gift of eternal life? Would you like to do that? You know what? We should expect that people are going to say yes. And sometimes I think we're trying to get people in out because we don't really expect it and we don't want to be disappointed. But folks, God's still saving souls. God has not raptured his church because he's still using his church to evangelize this world with the gospel. And he uses individual believers within the church. Now, on the 29th, we're going to have a church-wide outreach. And we're going to have brochures and we're going to have bags. We're going to have in those gift bags for every guest that comes onto our church property, we're going to have a little gift bag. And there's going to be gospel literature in that and some other things about our church ministries that we believe might resonate with them that might be helpful to them. We're going to have other things in there. We're going to, and we're going to have. Uh, information and prize drawings so that we can follow up with these dear people and have a connection with them. You're going to have an opportunity to show the love of Christ and to be excited about a fall festival and to help these people enjoy that time and to get to know some people and maybe begin to build a connection with somebody. You won't build a connection with everybody, but maybe there's going to be somebody special you would build a connection with that you can follow up with later or maybe even then right there, just a simple two-minute time slot while they're waiting uh, for their kids to go through a bouncy house or get their face painted or wait in line to get you know donuts and apple cider or something but while they're standing there waiting and you're talking with them you share your salvation testimony and you ask them if they have ever had a similar experience folks there's opportunities that we can do that as a church but there's also opportunities you can have as an individual and you can think of some ways as a family how you can reach your neighborhood with the gospel of jesus christ folks we mean as jesus was when jesus was only 12 years old you know what he told his mother and his father, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? He's not being disrespectful. He's a 12-year-old. But he was about his father's business as a 12-year-old. Should we not be about our father's business as born-again believers? So that's the pattern. They went to the synagogue. They preached to the Jews, knowing that they were going to be persecuted of the Jews. That became a pattern, too, did it not? The unbelieving Jews that then refused the gospel became their antagonists and their persecutors yet they had a heart to share the gospel and many believed And folks it is worth it to suffer persecution because some will believe but look at the problem here it is the unbelieving jews look if you would in verse two but the unbelieving jews stirred up the gentiles and made their made their minds evil affected against the brethren the problem these unbelieving jews this word unbelieving means to disobey Literally, it means they were fixed in disobedience. Do you know what it means to dig in your heels? Has anybody besides me ever had to work with mules? Anybody ever work with a mule? I worked at the Bell Rice Ranch and worked in ministry when I was a teenager there in Tennessee. My first ministry out of college was at Bell Rice Ranch in Flagstaff, Arizona called West Branch. So I worked around horses a good bit. And I worked around mules and there was a stubborn mule when i was a teenager and you know what when you would grab him by the lead rope and try to pull him he was truly stubborn you know stubborn as a mule i got to know firsthand what that means and what he'd do man he would just dig in those hooves and he would resist you now a horse has hooves about this big a mule's hooves are even bigger And so, man, they got a lot more that they can resist with. And you're not going to move a mule if he is fixed in disobedience. And that's what these unbelieving Jews, were they were more stubborn than a mule, they were fixed in disobedience. You know, faith at times is called obedience and unbelief is called disobedience in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 for instance the Bible says and the word of God increased and a number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith what's that mean it means they believed they obeyed the gospel repent and believe on Jesus Christ as your only hope of everlasting life stop trusting in your good works Uh, Your religious morality, realize you are unrighteous, cannot make yourself righteous, cannot keep the law for your righteousness. Jesus fulfilled the law. He is your righteousness. Trust him. Call on him. And a great number of the priests were obedient to that gospel call. The word demands faith. And consequently, responding with faith is to obey Refusing faith is to disobey. These Jews heard the gospel in their own synagogue and yet they firmly reject it. One pastor who wrote on this observed, fixed unbelief is ever morally vicious. When the circumstances are favorable, it ignores every moral consideration in the vilification of the gospel and taking base measures against its adherents." In other words, you hear all is fair in love and war, And those who are fixed in their disobedience become vicious and aggressive in their resistance to the gospel and in persecuting believers. And I believe that there are several reasons for that. But anybody who comes by the grace of God under Holy Spirit conviction of the truth and rejects it has to have some sort of an outlet or other response to that. And it is often in a violent or very aggressive manner against the gospel. They are resisting. Just when I'm trying to pull that old mule and he was resisting me, he was not actively coming this way. He was actively resisting me. He made a choice and it was an active choice. So this is an active choice that they rejected. And they made the minds of the Gentiles evil affected In other words, literally, they poisoned their minds. One weapon that has been across the board used by those who persecute and oppose the gospel is to poison the minds of those who don't believe the gospel. Folks, we need to understand that we are going to be purposefully misquoted and misrepresented. You know, it seems in our country that much of the press is able to take what people say and twist it to fit their storyline and that is exactly what those who are fixed in unbelief they've heard the gospel they have an opportunity to repent and to believe they have consistently persisted in refusing and pushing back and pushing away jesus christ and his loving offer of eternal life and they are going to say hey listen they're, they're going to they're gonna misrepresent us. They're going to misunderstand us. And they are going to then use whatever they can against us. And they will take our words and they will take the scriptures and twist them against us in all areas. So we should expect to face this opposition. And we need to understand that some unbelievers are going to reject the truth of the gospel. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Jesus said to us disciples, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Isn't it ironic that the Jews, according to Luke chapter 16, had confidence in themselves that they were righteous? That's why Jesus gave the parable of the publican and of the Pharisee. He preached it to those that trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And these who trust in themselves when they are righteous don't like to be told that through their good works, that their good works are not good enough to make them righteous before God. That they must receive humbly and by faith the righteousness of Christ if they would be forgiven of their sins and have everlasting life. And Jesus said, blessed are you when men persecute you for righteousness' sake. For those who suffer that persecution, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Do you see that? Shall? Not maybe. You proclaim the gospel. You should expect some are going to trust Christ. We should have an absolute, confident expectation that some are going to trust Christ when we share the gospel. Whether the first time or over a length of time as we continue to share the gospel and they see our testimony but we should also expect that we are going to be persecuted and opposed blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you their opposition to poisoning the minds of those who had not yet believed was aimed towards the Iconian believers and not just against Paul and Barnabas you see that the Bible says that they verse two they made their minds evil affected against the brethren so it wasn't just those that were standing behind the pulpit and publicly proclaiming the word of God they didn't just go after Paul and Silas they do in a couple of verses but here there's this general antipathy against the gospel and against the brethren there is an aggressive, vicious spirit of persecution against those. And remember, many of these Jews and Greeks had responded to Christ. They were new believers, and they are facing already this public opinion opposing them within the community because those who were the Jews that were fixed in their unbelief began to try to publicly change public opinion against Christians. If you go on something like some social media platform, Instagram for instance, you don't have to look very long to find little clips of people that are very anti-Christian and very anti-gospel, that are trying to discredit the word of God, that are purposely misquoting scripture, that are attacking Christians and are trying to turn public opinion against Christians. Folks, it's nothing new. That's what Nero did. He blamed the burning of the city of Rome on Christians and made an excuse to be able to persecute them. We're going to be misrepresented. Public opinion in this country is turning against born-again believers and the gospel. Should that surprise us? No, we should expect it. Why? <coughs> because the God of this world, little g, who is that? It's Satan. Second Corinthians 4, 4. Hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, which is the image of Christ, should shine on them. Who is the God of this world? It's Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Folks, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, uh, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And by the way, Satan doesn't waste his time just attacking your temporal life. Oh, Satan made me sick. Oh, Satan made me poor. Oh, Satan just trying to discourage me with this and that. You know what? May I say this respectfully? Satan's got bigger fish to fry. He's after eternal souls. He's trying to destroy the testimony of Christians. He's trying to distract them from the gospel. He's trying to discourage them from the gospel. And so, yeah, sometimes he uses those temporal means, but that is, that is just a means to an end. That is not the end. The end is Satan knows that he is going to spend eternity burning in the lake of fire and the second death forever. He hates God, and he hates who God loves, and God so loved the world, and God loves you. So Satan hates you, and he wants to destroy your soul in hell. And if he can't destroy your soul in hell, Christian, he wants to destroy your effectiveness at proclaiming the gospel. <laughs> And since we already have a sinful nature of flesh, sometimes Satan doesn't have to work too hard because so many times we yield to our selfish flesh and we begin to see things on such a selfish, temporal, me-centered focus that we forget that we are soldiers in Christ's army, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are little-a apostles sent out ones with the gospel in this time, in this place, for the sake of the gospel, to proclaim Jesus Christ so that more can be saved. For the Bible tells us of our Lord in 2 Peter 3, 9, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Folks, we ought to understand and we ought to expect that some will trust Christ, but also that some are going to reject it and oppose us. Number three, I want you to see God's power. Look at verse three and four. The Bible says, Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. So Paul and Silas are with this church and a long time indicates now there is a church actually being established. The believers are, are being grounded in the faith. They're being strengthened through the truth. They're getting more of an understanding of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament scriptures are being expounded and taught to them, and, and they're coming under the, the teaching of the apostles' doctrine. So they're being strengthened. They're being equipped. More souls are being saved. Look at this in verse three. Long time, therefore, they abode, speaking boldly in the Lord. By the way, where does boldness come from? doesn't come from a personality. It comes from the Holy Spirit. They spake with boldness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, Jesus said in John fifteen five, for without me, ye can do nothing. If we try to do this in our own wit, by our own power, by our own arguments, or because we have an outgoing personality. Folks, God can use all those things as tools, but we cannot do eternal work with temporal means. We must have the power of the Spirit of God, which means we have to walk in humble obedience and dependence on Him according to the Scriptures so that when we have opportunity to wage war against the devil for the souls of men with the love and truth of Jesus Christ for these precious souls, expecting that many will believe, that some will reject, where we're going to face persecution Hey, listen, God shows forth his power. And that's what we see here. They spoke long time, therefore boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, that is the Lord, is verifying the message of the gospel. And isn't it great that here the gospel is termed the message of his grace, the word of his grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of worse, lest any man should boast. Look at this. And God granted that signs and wonders, miracles, to be done by their, the apostles' hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. At this point, although the fixed in unbelief tried to poison the minds of popular opinion against the brethren, No action is taken against Paul and Silas. There's no physical action being taken in persecution against the brethren. It was more of a public relations try to go on a character assassination campaign kind of attack to turn people's minds against them. And even though this was going on, and I'm sure there was some success, many are still getting saved. Many are continuing to be added to the Lord because of the power of God. And the reason why the apostles were able to speak boldly, look at this back in verse 3. I want you to see a key phrase here. They're speaking boldly in the Lord. That preposition in can be translated for. And in some of your other translations, you would see the word for the Lord there. And that would be accurate. They are speaking for the Lord. They're speaking the Lord's message. That is the gospel of his grace. But the primary meaning or definition of that preposition is rely or upon. And so you can translate it in verse three, speaking boldly upon the Lord. That is speaking boldly, relying upon the Lord. You know, folks, If we are putting on the armor of God every day, if we are watching and praying, if we are asking God every day for gospel opportunities and expecting God will give them to us, and we have girded up the loins of our mind as Peter admonishes us, not that we're being sourpuss, sober-minded you know, highfalutin, formal people. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about humble, but prepared, ready, thinking and looking on a spiritual plane instead of merely just a temporal plane. With the love of Christ beating within our breast, with the compassion of Christ and looking for those opportunities, we need to be ready. And you know what? We have to rely though on the power of the Lord. And as we do, God will grant great power. I believe that that time, the time of the apostles before the completed scriptures were given, that God did through the apostles do great miracles, but no apostle did a miracle of their own will or volition or through their own power. It was God, the spirit through them motivating and moving them so that they knew that this was of God and they were to do this. For instance, when Paul said to Elymas, you're gonna be blinded for a season, he did not say, I blind you. Paul had no power to do that. He said, you'll be blinded for a season. What was he saying? The Lord's gonna blind you for a season because you are resisting the gospel to the detriment of this man who wants to hear the gospel. And folks, when we're relying upon God, and we are obedient just make ourselves as available vessels, as available witnesses and ambassadors, no matter the opposition we face, no matter how much Christianity is vilified, the power of God never wanes and the power of God as we rely on him will be given to us that we may speak boldly in his name. And though we may not do physical miracles in the same way that the apostles did, don't you think God can still do supernatural works? So specifically, that the people who are hearing the gospel see this cannot be anything but the power of God. This is real, and I better take it seriously. Absolutely. This word for boldness, by the way, is a really cool word. It means free and open speaking that holds nothing back. Hey, folks. The gospel is gonna cause offense, so let it. Now, we're not gonna be obnoxious, and we're not gonna be inconsiderate of people's feelings. We should always be moved with empathy and with compassion. But we know some people are gonna be offended. So what? Here's what, so what? So they heard the gospel, and the gospel was implanted, and they might be getting angrier and angrier by the minute, but if they're standing there listening and they haven't walked away, they're still hearing the gospel. And the Spirit of God can take that which is implanted and begin to germinate that in their soul. And someone else can come along to show the love of Christ. And God himself can do a supernatural work in their circumstances that the water of the gospel is poured upon them. And other believers shower them with the love and truth of Christ. And the seed is watered and God's continuing that maturing work. And it breaks through to the fruit of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the power of God one pastor said this a godly person is bold with the gospel when i read that i sat back in my chair and i thought am i a godly person because if i'm a godly person i'll be bold with the gospel and i think you'll see that consistently through the book of acts and throughout the scriptures a person who's walking in the spirit is a godly person they're being controlled by the spirit of god they walk with God. They love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. They love their neighbor as themselves. They have a passion for the gospel. They have a love for their brethren that moves them to sacrifice and to serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not afraid of the opposition and the persecution they expect it because they know that greater is he, the Holy Spirit, is in you than he, Satan, that's in the world we know according to philippians chapter 2 that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that jesus christ is lord we know that so we can go forward with confidence folks we're only on this earth for a temporal time we have all of eternity with jesus christ we're going to receive a glorified eternal body so what if they mutilate and murder this physical body it is only a tool for temporal time fear not man which can destroy the body and cannot destroy the soul but rather for him We can destroy both body and soul in hell. Remember, someday, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will stand to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. Not of our sins. They're all cleansed. They're all under the blood of Calvary. But of our lives as believers and as stewards of the manifold grace of God, including the grace of his word. That is the gospel. A godly person is bold with the gospel. How, you ask. Here's how. The more reliant you are upon the Lord, the more boldness you will have. Your confidence in his working will give you greater freedom to share the gospel. Again, I draw your attention to the word of his grace. Romans three twenty four, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Titus 3, 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Lord confirmed the preaching of Paul uh, and Silas through miracles that his spirit performed through them. One writer said this, when God through the apostles did these signs and wonders, it was like God was signing his name to Paul and Silas' message. He is confirming that this is his gospel, that this is eternal truth, that this is the way of salvation. I like that. And you know what? When you and I preach in the boldness of the spirit of God and the word of God goes forth, God will confirm that. He signs his name to his gospel. The gospel divides. But look at something. I want you to see this in verse four. But the multitude of the city was divided, and the gospel divides, and part held with the Jews, part with the apostles. Do you know what the exciting thing here is? Paul and Silas filled the entire city of Iconium with a gospel. The more that those fixed unbelief says, don't listen to these guys, they're nuts, the more people said, I wonder what they got to say. I got to hear what they're preaching over there. I mean, there's got to be something that there's this many people that keep speaking against this. Kind of makes me curious. I want to hear that. I've been hearing all about them. I want to hear it from their own lips. And I think that which was supposed to be used by the devil to drive people away from the gospel, God backfired it and caused it to draw people to the gospel. Because God is magnificent in his work. They filled the entire city so that everybody was choosing a side. There were no neutral people. There's, think about this. There was nobody in the city of Iconium that had not heard the gospel. I wonder if the same thing could be said for Lilburn. I wonder if the same thing could be said for Snellville or Grayson or Monroe. Lawrenceville. Loganville. I know Atlanta's a big place. But I wonder if the same could be said there. Folks, you know what that tells me? we got a lot of work to do. We really do. And I'm excited about it. But isn't it wonderful how God used even the opposition And these things, and Paul and and Barnabas' persistence in preaching the gospel and not running when public opinion turned against their brethren, continue to encourage them in the Lord and preach the gospel and work on building the church. They didn't let the persecution and all of that other stuff distract them or dissuade them. They kept on ministering, and God built his church. Then I want you to see their prudence. Look with me if you would in verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, and when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, or made aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derbe cities of Lyconia, unto the region that lieth round about. So, their prudence. This context indicates that Paul and Silas were these specific targets. But I want you to understand something. Paul and, si- Paul and Barnabas leaving was not cowardice was a church established at iconium yes was the gospel spread throughout the whole city of iconium Yeah, to where everyone had heard the gospel was their job then at a point complete to where they could move on to the next place and preach the gospel yes And so wisdom and prudence dictated our job is done here. Listen, were there times when Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas put their lives in jeopardy for the sake of the gospel when it was necessary? Absolutely. And they were ready to do so. Paul said, for me to to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was ready at any time to give his life for the sake of the gospel and he risked it often but at this point, it was not necessary. And I believe he understood in prudence that his job here was finished. He and Barnabas, there was a church established. The gospel was going to continue uh, to grow there. People were going to be growing in Christ and reaching others with the gospel. It was their time to move on. Speaking of persecution, one author said this, When light comes, darkness resents it. When righteousness appears, the unrighteous assail it. When life comes, the powers of death bestir themselves to destroy it. And that's what happens. They realized, oh, it's Paul and Barnabas. We've got to kill them. And so there's a conspiracy of the Jews and Gentiles to persecute them, to publicly humiliate them. That's what the word means there. And then to stone them to death. The word fled means to flee for refuge. It was just prudent. One writer said they left one victory behind in order to start winning another. I like that. And then, last of all, look at their persistence. Look in the last verse, verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. They went to Lystra and Derby and the surrounding area, and they kept on preaching the gospel. Here, the imperfect tense of preached indicates they continued preaching the gospel. They went to preach in these little towns of Lystra and Derby. They were just little towns and there was just a little uh, area, kind of a rural area around them, little hamlets. But they went and they kept on preaching the gospel. Persecution and the threat of death did not deter them from sharing the gospel. Wherever we we go, we ought to be faithful also to share the gospel. We have a purpose statement at Berean Baptist Church. I'm not going to read the full version but the condensed version of our purpose statement the condensed version of our mission statement at marine baptist church is this our mission at marine baptist church is for believers to love god to grow in spiritual maturity to be active in ministering to other believers and to fulfill god's mission to reach the world with his truth that is our mission may god find us faithful shall we bow our heads this morning for a word of prayer. We will not have a come forward invitation this morning, but I just want you to listen to the Spirit of God, how he spoke to you. Whatever your need is, whatever encouragement you've received, or however the Holy Spirit has confronted you or instructed you, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to that in worship to him this morning. That is, just quietly in your heart before the Lord, acknowledge what he's spoken to you this morning and to ask him in his grace to transform you and to strengthen you and to embolden you to obey. And if you are not sure where your soul would spend eternity, would you just simply pray to God and ask him, God, I'm concerned about my soul. I have a lot of questions. I'm not exactly clear on all of this, but I am concerned about my soul where I'll spend eternity. And God, would you please show me your truth so I can understand and believe? And then after that, if you would come back to the connection point or if a friend brought you, just after the service, you can get aside with them and say, hey, listen, I'm not not really sure about where my soul is gonna spend eternity. I'd like to know. They can take the word of God or take you to somebody who can take the word of God. Show you the way of salvation. I'd be glad to do that back in the connection point. Brothers and sisters in Christ, now would you respond to the Lord, whatever your need is, whatever the spirit of God is doing to encourage you or to correct you or to equip you for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your brethren, for his glory. Would you now, as our pianist begins to play, would you respond?